So I appreciate you giving me the rights to work on a movie about the Ten Commandments. And I think I have some really interesting ideas for this. Like, they're so rich and vivid that I think we can really dig in and show the different ways these can express themselves. Like, there's the commandment about how you shouldn't covet your neighbor's wife and will, like, show someone being really jealous of their neighbor's spouse and eventually taking them. And then there's the commandment that you shouldn't commit adultery and... We'll have another sketch, and it'll be the same people, and we'll show that neighbor's spouse fucking the guy from before, and we'll show the neighbor, though, just broken, just such a sad man. What do you think? Mm. Um, Well, uh, from our end, financially, I think we can sell this. So I'm going to say you've got a go picture. On a more personal note, are you okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, no, but yeah, I'm fine. Fuck, I gotta call Sheila. Welcome to Off the Film Path. Here we review and discuss movies that, for better or for worse, are less known to the general public. Today we are discussing 2007's The Ten. I'm Kyle. And I'm Sophia. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. All right, Kyle. Yes? I have to prefigure this one a little bit. Of course. I may appear to most people to be the world's sexiest woman, and fair enough, but underneath the surface, I'm a roiling mass of insecurities on the verge of a full-on breakdown, and the way I get through my day-to-day life in that state is I do not think about it. So I have to say, watching this movie made me think about some things that I purposefully don't think about, Kyle. Religious trauma, you might say? Well, and also the adultery, Kyle. That that was the most toothless adultery thing I've ever seen, though. It was, but still. Yeah, so so I mean I mostly I mostly kid. I'm I'm fine, folks, but like it's yeah. This was this one was rough. If, if adultery activates any trauma for you, just go ahead and skip this movie. Or quite frankly, anything relating to rape. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, oh boy, oh boy. We're gonna really gloss over that section, but it does come up. I gotta be honest with you. There's a lot of this movie that I'm gonna probably glaze oh, over. This movie could have been 40 minutes. And yet, we sat there for the entire 132. 95. 95, whatever. Oh, shit. My bad. Whatever. Yeah. Every single section of this movie goes on too long. Yes. It's kind of incredible. It it is kind of incredible, but also it goes on too long, but it kind of has to. Yes, because otherwise you're left with the bare points and that's not even a movie. Yeah, I get it. That is a church PSA, which, by the way, we'll get to it. (laughs) Just pin that in your mind somewhere. Yeah. On the topic of this making you confront some things, I've thought sometimes that this this podcast is not therapy, but it is at times therapeutic. Yeah, this is. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, it's 
part of the value of movies in the, is that you can explore ideas in a relatively safe way. Mm-hmm. And then this podcast is us being able to verbalize that. So that's kind of neat. Yeah. That said, after this, I'm going to play not one, but two games of D&D. So I can work through the weird parts of my trauma while my friends all act like they're goblins, which is cool. <laughs> all right. So let's get started. Yeah, let's get started. We start with sweeping shots of giant stone tablets and swelling music. And the Ten Commandments are written on these tablets. Yes. And then we see a man appear. And to quote Mark Ruffalo, is that Paul Rudd? (laughs) It sure is, too. Yes, Paul Rudd comes out. And apparently he just, like, lives in this void. It, 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 (sighs) It will make more sense later. It will make more sense later. No, no, it won't, but it'll make some sense later. It'll make different sense. Yes. So, yeah, Paul Rudd comes out and gives us a monologue about, or no, I'm sorry. No, he's he's behind the tablets and he's having a heated conversation with somebody on the phone. And after he hangs up, he comes out and gives a spiel, which is he will tell 10 stories about the Ten Commandments. One story per commandment. And he promises, promises, this will get done. This feels like David Wayne, like, lost a bet. Honestly, I have a different take on this, but we'll get there. Oh, I forgot to say this in the part up top. This was written and directed by David Wayne, who also directed Role Models and Wet Hot American Summer. Now, I personally love Wet Hot American Summer, and there's a lot of familiar faces from it. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm one of those people. I'm a movie snob. I'm actually not. I don't know why I say that. Because you watch Godar. Ugh, no. I watched two Godar movies. And I only watched the second one to make sure when I made a point, I was making it correctly. Okay. But I have opinions about Godar because that's what film critics do. All right. So he tells, he, he jumps straight into the first story, which pretty classic. Dumb guy jumps out of an airplane without his parachute. Oh, the commandment is there are no other gods before me. Oh, hold no other gods before me, yeah. Okay, so dumb guy jumps out of an airplane with no parachute. Fun fact, the parachute instructor, John Hamm. Yeah. Does not look like John Hamm. They does not. good with the makeup. The guy who jumps is Adam Brody. He has one really funny misdirect line that they do a few misdirect lines that are some of the better jokes of this movie, where he goes, it's like that line from Titanic. And you think he's going to say, I'm king of the world. He goes, I want you to draw me like one of your French girls. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, so this guy is coded stupid. Like, he's he's stupid. He's a stupid guy. Is it coding or just he is stupid? <laughs> no, I'm dropping the coding language. He's just stupid. Okay. But as sometimes happens with these types of incidents, people have survived this. He survives, but he's stuck in the ground in a way that if they move him, he might, might die. Oh, I thought they said he will die. I mean, they say very probably. Okay. And like, one of the things I noted in my tweet thread was like, I think it would probably take about two weeks before very probably die turns into real fucking good odds. Mm-hmm. We also meet his fiance, played by Winona Ryder. Who just iconic, completely stand Winona Ryder. I read on IMDb that she like signed up for the movie without reading the contract because she liked <laughs> Wet Hot American Summer. 
Oh no! Oh, Winona, which oh, makes sorry. a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. No. So this feels like a lot of people who are like, "Oh, hey, the Wet Hot American Summer guy is making another movie. I'm in." And when he heard that, he was like, "All right, bet I'm in." <laughs> <laughs> this will teach you to read your fucking contracts. True. Oh, okay. We also see Ken Marino, friend of the pod, Ken Marino. Is this Ken Marino? As the oh, doctor yeah, yeah, yeah. who says, yeah, yeah. if he leaves, he dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Friend of the pod. <laughs> so yeah, he's diagnosed with stuck-in-the-ground-itis. And they basically have to build a house around him in this fucking field. Which, it's not how zoning works, but okay. <laughs> and... It is clearly a strain on their relationship. And a news team comes out to the site to kind of talk to her about how hard this is for her. And the reporter is... Sleazy. Sleazy is a great way to put that. Yeah. And it's very clear, like, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh, fuck. Just stop. Can we... Can we, can we just not, can we not? And it's the first of a long series of like, everybody's cucking this clown. True. They do the fucking news story and somehow people give a shit about this for more than a week. Yeah, I, I, I do want to say that this, this movie takes place in a reality where nothing makes sense. So like a week from now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm hilarious. Yep. Yeah, so this guy blows up because like, like I guess they make a, a TV show based on a sitcom based on his the novelty of his situation. Yeah, and he develops a tagline. No, not really. Oh yeah, they ask, "Do you have any words for all the your fans out there?" And he goes, "No, not really." Yeah, and that and that becomes the tagline of his entire life. It's on T-shirts. The sitcom that's like the joke. That's the of this sitcom for some reason it's fucking everything for a while there's a thing about a guy who was trapped under some rocks who's like it really gave me the courage <laughs> to do something uh, other. it's like why any of this but unsurprisingly eventually people get bored because again he can't move so it's incredibly limited yeah and like he turns into a TV star douchebag and all right, let's let's content warning, pedophilia and incest. He finger blasts an underage girl because that's about the only thing he can do sexually. Who's like, yes, his cousin. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he finger blasts his underage cousin. And that's about all that his agent is going to put up with. And the show is petering out. And there's not a whole lot of work for actors who cannot move from their one spot in the ground. He was, in essence, a flash in the pan. Yeah. Also, at some point during this whole, like, montage, they're like, he's a hero or something, and then very right to camera. Oh, God. It's like, okay, way to yeah. unsubtle. Look, subtle is not what this movie does. Nope. This movie is subtle like a fucking meteor crashing into the earth. It's the same type of humor as Wet Hot American Summer, where, like, you say something ridiculous in just a very plain and dry way, and that's supposed to be the humor. So, Miss Winona Ryder is earning her paycheck. She, <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
She's the only one who's not like completely checked out of this. She puts in the effort. I love it. So she comes in while dude is having this fucking party. And honestly, the only thing that is potentially offensive about this party is the fact that there's a woman wearing a crop top and a mini skirt sitting next to him. That's it. But she assumes that this is just straight up cheating and flees for the news station. You might think, dear viewer, based on the ridiculousness of the story, that she's actually a rational person reacting to an irrational, uh, acting within an irrational, I don't know, world? Conceit. Conceit, thank you. Conceit? Nope. But we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Anyway, she runs into the arms of Lewis, who's our sleazy reporter from before. Yeah. And... (laughs) <laughs> this is actually kind of funny in, in that, that kind of gross way. She she runs in, like, soaking wet as if she's been out in the rain. It's not raining. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, you know, they're about to start the, the news. And, and they have this tender moment where they're like, I'll take care of you now. And she's like, I can't believe he turned into this. And, you know, the guy's like, all right, we're on in three. Two, and he just shoves her out of the way. It just continues on like nothing. Fun little bit of trivia. There's a character in the news team named Jim Stansel. Mm-hmm. That is also a name that was used in Wet Hot American Summer. As yeah. Janine Garofalo like makes up a guy to get out of an awkward situation. It's like, I have to go see Jim Stansel. It's like, oh, hey, I see you, David Wayne. <laughs> we do love Janine Garofalo. She's in this very briefly. I missed it. We'll get there. Mm. So this story concludes with a group of teens reenacting the whole thing. Jump out of an airplane without a parachute. Yep. And they all died because it's rare that people survive jumping out of an airplane without a parachute. And the narrator helpfully informs us that they died because they attempted to emulate their god. Thou shalt hold no other gods before me. So no one gives a shit about Steven anymore. Yeah. End of sketch. And then we're back to... The void. The void. The fucking void. And we meet Paul Rudd's wife. They're clearly having a rough time. Oh, you think? Yeah. I mean, uh, the shouting kind of, like, is what gave it away to me. You know, now that you say it, it does seem like they're having a rough time. And it's it's kind of like, you can tell just by the way Paul Rudd's character. Do you remember this guy's, does he ever say his fucking name? Yeah, Jeff. 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 And the wife is Gretchen. Jeff and Gretchen, thank you. So it, it's clear, like, Jeff says some things that kind of, like, work in his problems with, with Gretchen for no fucking good reason. Nobody cares. We've not gotten invested in this at all. He's the narrator. We shouldn't even know what he fucking looks like. That said, on to the next story. Right. This is Don't Take the Lord's Name in Vain. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we so we open with a librarian. Who is this librarian? I know her. I don't remember the actress. The character's name is Gloria. Gloria is... Uh, an actress that I recognize. She's a librarian and she's going on vacation to Mexico. I have to say, speaking Spanish 
is uh, a bit of a curse for this movie because there are no subtitles. Nope. But I speak in a Spanish that like wasn't a problem for me. I kind of wish it was because it's weird and dumb and gross. Okay. So she interacts with her sleazy ass boss who wants nothing more in the world than to bone down. Incredibly creepy. Incredibly creepy. It made me self-conscious, actually. Like, that's how, that's the kind of creep this guy is. Like, is it, he's so, he's so like, overtly nice guy creepy that you're like, oh, let me just make sure I'm not doing any of these things ever. But, yeah, she's not into it, obviously, because he's a creep. But she is into some romance some way, and she's going to go to Mexico to find it. Audience. I assume most of you have not gone to Mexico. If you're looking for romance, you're probably going to find it in the cities. Where there's people, you mean? Where, there, where there's people. Like, Mexico is not that different from America. You would not go to, I don't know, Sioux Falls, Iowa, <laughs> if you're looking for a meaningful connection. That's not what that's for. Like, you go to, or even like a one-time connection that that like... You know, the memories will last a lifetime and like it's it's very sexy and, and all that. No, you're not going to find that in Sioux Falls. Sioux Falls is fucking disgusting and the people there are assholes. You find that in places like New York or Miami or Los Angeles or San Diego. But they have a replacement for Gloria because she's taking like a month or the whole summer. Like it's a long time. Yeah, it's Jason Sudeikis. It's Jason Sudeikis! Who, you know, what? he's in this movie for like... Two seconds and then never again. He does a thing. I don't like the thing. So for whatever reason, he likes to stand on his knees, which makes him appear as a little person at first because he's like right in front of Gloria's desk. So when the dude is like, when the creepy dude is like, well, here's your replacement for the summer. And you can see like the very top of his head, like it's, it's, Jason Sudeikis, like, you can tell it's him, but, like, not much more. And she's like, where? Oh, hi. <laughs> and she plays it off really well. But, yeah, for whatever reason, this dude really likes just standing on his knees. I think that's the only time this ha- that happens, though. Yeah, because he, that's, that's his only thing in the movie. He shows up very briefly two more times. I don't I'm... get that. Mm, okay. Well. Yeah, whatever. This is well before Jason Sudeikis' biggest glow-up for Ted Lasso. Yeah, 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 that's true. We're talking about 07 Jason Sudeikis, which is still fine. Okay, so confusingly, Kyle has just informed me of something that I had some trouble parsing at first, because Jeff's wife's name is Gretchen. Apparently, Gloria is played by an actress named Gretchen Maul, who is not... Someone I recognize, actually. It be like that. Yeah, it do be like that. So yeah, so she goes to Mexico. And she... What are they called, Kyle? The, the thing? Like a host the, family? No, the, the, the cart. Oh, fuck. I'm... I know, I know. Like a rickshaw? Rickshaw, there you go. So, so she takes this rickshaw thing to her host family's house out in the middle of fucking nowhere... The rickshaw is pulled by a man who has had his right leg amputated below the knee. So this is not efficient nor comfortable for anyone involved. The host family, 
The host family greets her. You know, she tries out her rudimentary Spanish. They try out their rudimentary English. And the guy's rudimentary English is, I want to fuck your tits. And she's like, oh, no, that's not right. Uh, so he's like, okay, okay, one second. It turns to his wife and, and says, you know, in Spanish, she says, hey, how do you say I want to fuck your tits in English? I caught the comos de diche, but I was like, and I'm assuming that it's right. So she's just like, we see her in different areas of this, like, town. Yeah, I think it's big enough to be called a town. Yeah, and while she's in the mercado, she sees a dashing, I guess, man who looks for everything in the world like if Fabio went brunette. He's a carpenter. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's, <laughs> he's carving... He's carving a wooden foot for the guy that that worked the rickshaw. And she gets flustered and like stares at him, honks her own boobs, and just generally basically fucks herself in front of this guy. Fucking wild. And then leaps without saying anything. Just jizzes a mango out of its skin onto the ground without paying for it. <laughs> Amazing. But yeah, so she goes back to her host family's house, and this guy, Jesus, is also there for some reason. And they have a whirlwind romance. That's well Yeah, let's just let's just skip a whole lot of bullshit and say that. That really is what most of this movie has to be. It's like they show them being romantic, which is not interesting to talk about the individual beats. It's really not. It's like for choreographing a fight scene. And they hella fuck. They hella fuck. And notably, she screams out several. She takes the Lord's name in vain, as one does Winst. Fucking. What's his name? Jesus. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and so they're hanging out on a boat one day in the middle of a pond. Yeah. And she sees a flower that she thinks is really pretty. So he walks over and grabs it over the top of the pond. He walks on water, baby. Walks on water. And so Gloria finally puts together that she's been banging the actual Jesus Christ. Based. I mean, I guess. If you subscribe to the view that Jesus is the son of God and the savior of humanity, then being the one he bones down on is pretty based. I guess so. <laughs> if you look at it that way, yeah, it would be, I suppose. God's your dad-in-law? Like, that feels... sorry, that's getting so weird. <laughs> no, that I just I'm just thinking about how that would work. It doesn't. Anyway, she goes back home. Also, we do see the guy, the amputee, get fitted for his leg. It's way too short. Mm -hmm. It's it's like oh my fucking goodness. But Gloria goes back home. We skip a few years. She's married to Oliver, the creepy dude. Mm -hmm. They have some kids. They run into Jesus again. At, of all things, a prosthetics convention. Yeah. He's a vendor. <laughs> yes. So they reconnect a little bit that night. Gloria and Oliver have sex, and she calls out Jesus. And Oliver's, wait, who's this Jesus guy? Goofy hey. fucking take. Yeah. It just so much of this movie defies sense, logic, or, you know, any 
any mode in which art is done, honestly. Correct. So anyway. Back to the void. Back to the void. And Gretchen is pissed at Jeff because he would rather tell his fucking stories than help her put away the groceries. Now, this is the one where he's juicing his packs. Oh, is this the one where he's juicing his packs? Okay. The yeah. last one was... Sorry. Yes. So the phrase juicing one's pecs is just silly. So yeah, so Paul Rudd is is pumping iron as I guess Paul Rudd does. Sure. Doesn't matter. But Gretchen jumps on his case and, and you know, says, hey, like, you know, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm juicing my pecs. And they have an entire fight about that in which he Freudian slips that he's banged a younger woman in a Starbucks parking lot twice. Yeah. Yeah. It fuck fuck this movie. Fuck this movie. What's the next story? <laughs> Don't murder. Christ. Okay. Well, enter the main arc for a friend of the pod, Ken Marino. <laughs> this is Dr. Richie. He is a surgeon, which is then weird that he diagnosed the guy in the ground. That doesn't really Oh, I guess it could be surgery. That's beside the point. We see him in the surgery thing. One, the motherfucker takes off his mask to sneeze. And I'm like, hey, did this predict Republicans? Into an open chest cavity with dripping snot and everything. It's awful. Fucking disgusting. Disgusting. He finishes the surgery, whatever. He leaves the operating room with a set of golf clubs. I'm like, yep, that's, that's a doctor joke. Lol. Anyway, smash cut to the lady in excruciating pain. And the doctor comes in and says, uh, you know, what seems to be the problem? The husband is freaking out. The husband is Tony. It's Jason Sudeikis. Hey, alrighty. Jason Sudeikis is freaking the fuck out because, well, his wife is in excruciating pain. And Ken Reiner's like, well, I should think so. And pops the x-ray onto the viewer. And there's a pair of scissors in her abdomen. And he, <laughs> Tony, Tony says to him, like, hey, how did this happen? And Cameron's like, yeah, it was a goof. It was a goof. It was a goof. And well, one, two, skip a few. She dies. And, you know, he rides this. It was a goof thing all the way into the ground. Yeah. Just slim pickings is this. It's a goof thing. He gets interrogated by Liev Schreiber. Amazing. Goes on trial. Naturally. Holy shit. Obviously, he's guilty. And so the judge starts her sentencing, and the jury foreman's like, wait, aren't we supposed to deliberate? And she's like, you're wasting so much time. He's like, but that's how the judicial... It's like, is that how the judicial system works? Are you telling me, a judge, how the judicial system works? (laughs) Yeah, so obviously this is ridiculous. They come back, you know, and, and the jury comes to the exact same verdict. And she's like, yeah, so... You just wasted three hours of everyone's time to come to the exact same thing I said way back. Thanks a bunch, you bunch of assholes. And then, like, sentences him to life in prison without parole. Yeah. The plaintiff's lawyer is an actor, Zach Orth, who was also in Wet Hot American Summer as JJ, I think. Not important. Mm-hmm. He gets disbarred. I don't entirely know why. Because he's kind of a dummy. That, but And maybe because he admitted to, like, a really racist goof. <laughs> Yeah, we're not getting into that. But he's like, what do I do now? And Tony says, well, they're hiring tour guides at the power plant, which sets up a later sketch. 
Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Also, Tony kisses him very gently. It's okay. This movie is so gay. <laughs> yeah, everything about this movie is incredibly fucking gay in a homophobic way, <laughs> but also in a not homophobic way. Like yes. <laughs> I, I, so many times, I've I've just like been looking at characters and like just fuck, just fuck. What the fuck? Are you? True. Anyway, Doctor Richie is now in prison. His cellmate is like, you're my bitch. And he goes, I'm goofing. They both have a good laugh and he goes, no, I'm not. <laughs> oh, it was all funny until, well, he's not he's not goofing anymore. Yeah. As I've noted here, and will become way clearer later, this movie's way too glib about prison rape. Extremely glib about a big, serious problem. <sighs> yeah, so... <laughs> That's, I think that's the end of this story. Yep. The moral obviously being, hey, don't murder people even for a goof because you'll be somebody's prison bitch, I guess. God. Anyway. Awful. Yeah. Hey, we get to meet Liz now. Liz is Jessica Alba. Hell yes. Hell yes, but she's also like exhausting. She's a moron. <laughs> very, very. Whole. Bubbly and, well, boobly, (laughs) but just nothing there. This is a classic case of, like, dude going through, and and we talked about this on the pod before, midlife crises aren't real. (laughs) But dude going through midlife crisis, like, this is what we're doing here. This is the trope. Yeah, but also, we get some misogyny here, and then it transforms into some weird, bizarre military beliefs, and Liz says, I love it when you talk politics. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <sighs> yeah. Looking stupid. Also, we see Paul Rudd be very horny, and that's uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I, I prefer to think of celebrities as, generally speaking, not sexual beings. Listen, some of them are fine, but Paul Rudd is like your fun uncle, and you don't want to see... <laughs> nope. No. You don't want to see yeah, that. Paul... Yeah, Paul Rudd has a more wholesome... I will actually say this now. It is truly incredible that in David Wayne's movies, Paul Rudd is an absolute asshole. I'll be honest with you. I don't have the background into his oeuvre to... What had Americans over to this one and role models? He's such a fucking prick. And it's kind of incredible knowing how nice Paul Rudd can be in movies. Yeah, that that's weird. He's an actor. <laughs> He's good, too. Yeah. Anyway, next one is honoring your mother and father. All right. This. Okay. All right. So this one's weird. Yeah. This one is just, there's not a whole lot to this one. It's just a straight up, like, don't ask black children of white parents where they come from. That's, that's what this is a PSA for. It doesn't matter. Those are their parents. Here's a couple highlights. The dad doesn't throw a fit in the delivery room, which is kind of incredible. He says, I'll love you till I die. And then immediate cut to him in a casket. I know this was, you know, a decade and some change later because the kids are now teenagers when this happens. Yeah. Or young adults. I, you know, yeah. somewhere. It could be now. like 20 something. Yeah. Yeah. But the mom is so funny. This is Carrie Kenny, who's been on so many incredible things, most notably... I'd say is Reno 911. Yeah, yeah. And she was at one point a reporter and 
for, for celebrity news and had several affairs with some celebrities, which gives them the idea of like, you know, who is my father really? Because I mean, y'all are two extremely white people and we are two extremely not that. So she goes, they would fuck me. And one of the kids is like, mom, don't beat around the bush. Did you have sex with them? It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, <sighs> and then also, do I need to spell it out? They go, yeah. She goes, I F U C K and fully spells out that she fucked Arnold Schwarzenegger. I did miss a part in the middle where she says that it was Arnold as the dad. Yeah. But bonkers. Yeah. So they're like, all right, Arnold Schwarzenegger is my biological father and you're my biological mother. Like still completely not answering the question of like, all right, then why are we clearly African-American? Mm-hmm. So the mom tries to set up a meeting between the two of them. And obviously Arnold can't be bothered. So instead they get an Arnold impersonator. It's not real good at his job. But, you know, he bonds with the kids. Yes. And that's what's important. Found family. Yeah. Et cetera. Oh, also Arsenio Hall is the father, which actually makes some sense because they have very sharp features like Arsenio Hall. I don't understand how you confuse Arsenio Hall and Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm hoping that this is like a snide jab at the concept of like colorblindness. Okay. Or I guess she was just fucking so many people that... It was a whirlwind. <laughs> I don't see color in my eyes. There's no difference between Arnold Schwarzenegger and Arsenio Hall. Like, as moral actors, yeah, but yeah. like physically, they're very different. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. But they ask this impersonator if he can do Arsenio <laughs> to continue being... He's like, ah, no, I don't, I don't think I can do it. I can do, I can do Eddie Murphy, which is basically the same thing. Like, oh, God. No. They, they do comment... On this, though, because the two kids face the camera and be like, well, who's to say what family is? Is it blah, blah, blah? It's like, for us, it's two kids, a mom, and a guy doing an impression of (laughs) of a comedian who's the same race as your biological father. (laughs) Also, it reminded me of a sketch I've seen, like, a screenshot of, which is, sometimes a family is ten dads. Ten dads and no kids. Don't worry. Okay. No, I'm cool with that. That's fine. Sure. Right. So I think at this point, we go back to the void and Jeff is done. Jeff is having his angel devil moment. Oh, that's right. Yes. So. And here we get writer director David Wayne saying, hey, don't divorce Gretchen. And Thomas Lennox, who is very much in favor of divorcing Gretchen. Not only that, but sticking his wick basically anywhere that will consent to it. True. Thomas Lennon, also from Reno 911. And then we go into another story. Yep. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Yeah, this is this is the one I thought it was. This one's a little bit esoteric, I would <laughs> say. It is bonkers. <laughs> All right, so kids, back in the 90s, before most of you were born... If you lived in a suburb, you were almost assuredly white and you had to be middle class, which means that your life meant absolutely fucking nothing. You had nothing going on that gave you any kind of fulfillment at all. Your life was lived for job and then family and anything that was left over was your sleeping, eating and shitting time, which, of course, you know, leads to some odd externalities. For example, very silly 
competitions amongst neighbors for like who has the prettiest yard or who has the better car. Very, very stupid stuff. Who can build the fastest Pinewood Derby car? Yes. So these are all symptoms of the suburban malaise, at which, you know, still exists to some extent, but people are realizing that urban centers are not the stab shacks that they're assumed to be. You know, it's the keeping up with the Joneses story. Yeah. I literally titled this Keeping Up with the So-and-Sos. <laughs> so the So-and-Sos are Joe Latruglio. Hell yes. Love seeing him. Absolutely adore that this is him. And this is another one where you're just like, just fuck. Oh my god, just fuck already. We also have Leif Schreiber again. Yes, who also just amazing, love him to death. Mm-hmm. I kept calling him Zeus Bielski because, I mean, Defiance is one of my favorite movies. Okay, I was like, I don't get that joke. <laughs> Zeus Bielski, he's one of the leaders of the Bielski Triad in, I guess it was kind of like technically Belarus, but it was some some Jews who escaped from Okay. I've not seen Defiance is more what I'm getting at. Okay. Well, it's a good movie. Okay. Sad, but, you know. But the way they have to show off their wealth and stuff is by buying CAT scan machines. Yeah. And only CAT scan machines. What do these guys do? What do these two men do? One a- of them is apparent is I guess a police officer because we saw him interrogating Ken Marino earlier. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, and these are connected universes, too. So, like, yeah, mm-hmm. on a police officer's salary, this man has bought something, like, by the time, like, this goes on and on and on. And by the way, they're both physically abusive. Yes. And and gaslighty about it, too. Like, it's, it's very bad. Yeah. So, this goes on and on and on. The cycle of abuse and overspending on fucking MRI machines by people who do not make that kind of money. Until both sets of wives leave and they both live their best bachelor life inside an MRI machine. If you watch this section, you can skip Down and Derby entirely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is this is 10 minutes long and much better than Down and Derby. <laughs> so eventually Joe Latruglio comes over and, you know, is basically like, hey, man, you look like shit. It's like, so do you. All right. This is dumb. Do you want to grab a drink? And then they could grab a drink. There's a weird joke I do want to point out because I liked it. Joe asks Lee if he ever tips the guys. And he's like, I give him five bucks for lunch. He's like, where do you get <laughs> lunch for five bucks? And Lee Schreiber says, like, three names that leaves Joe Latrulio to comment. Ah, little changes to the names of the most famous fast food chains. I like it. Like McDonald's, Woundies. Yeah, Mc- <laughs> McDonald's. Thank you. Burger Kong. Yes. Winnie's. Incredibly stupid, but I thought it was a good joke. It, it was a good joke. I was also like, is that is that legal having, being like, okay, we don't have to clear these names? Technically. Yeah. So I think that's the end of this story because we come back to it. Or is it, or is the story just continue into that? It's still within the same story of don't covet stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Smash cut to remember the lawyer who's giving tours at the at the nuclear power plant? He's back, baby. And he's giving a tour of that nuclear power plant to a group of school kids. And alarms go off. Radiation is potentially leaking everywhere. Everybody's been exposed to potentially hazardous amounts of radiation. 
and they don't have a diagnostic test for it, like, for example, a Geiger counter in the nuclear power plant. There is no Geiger counter in the nuclear power plant. In the nuclear power plant, there is no Geiger counter. Instead, they determine that the, what they really need is nuclear medicine, to wit, a CAT scan. Oh, this is the part with Janine Garofalo, by the way. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, God, yeah. I. <laughs> yes, we love Janine Garofalo. But her and Zach Orth are yelling back and forth. They're like, what can we do? Where are we going to get 40 CAT scan machines in the next hour? <laughs> or something to that effect. And Liam Schreiber's kid knocks on the window. Oh, yes. sorry. I feel like you had this one. Well, you had it. Leif Schreiber's kid knocks on the window. By the by, I think he's in the middle when the middle was on, but that's a side note. And he goes, wait, I have an idea. <laughs> they go, what? And he starts pitching a reality show, <laughs> reality competition show. <laughs> and this is all like, you know, at that fever pitch of like emergency screaming. Yes. And they're all like, listen, I think you have something there. We'll workshop it. <laughs> Goofy. <laughs> This movie is very, very goofy and also manages to be both offensive, boring, and dumb while being very goofy. The full package. The full package. No. But they they go to these two dudes' houses. They're not home. They're out getting a drink. So no one gets a damn scan and they presumably all die. Oh, they all die. Yeah. But like the single most homoromantic thing that I have in my life seen these two at a bar just having a brew talking about fucking nothing there was a song that was playing oh I don't remember I cannot for the life of me remember but it was like very much like a love song I don't want that scab to fall off my brain nope that's fine but yeah this this was one of those things where just like kiss 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 Um, but, but yeah, so they're watching like the news on the bar TV comes up and, and it explains that like, oh yeah, these cat scans were not available because these two dudes who have 40 fucking cat scan machines are, you know, away from their homes. And they're both like, I think it's getting late. I think we should probably head on. And that's a wrap on that sketch. <laughs> yep. Everybody dies. The end. Back to the void. Jeff and Gretchen are done. Yeah. It's yeah. Bad. Bad, bad, bad. Hate this. Uses Hate the this. phrase "go fly a kite," and I'm like, this feels like a very dated insult. It is a very dated insult, but as we learn later, it has a personal significance. Forgot about that. Yeah. Don't hey, worry. here's the part where we're gonna skip over. The lesson is: don't covet your neighbor's wife. Please let me tell you what I titled this section in my notes, though. Go ahead. A twenty to life partner. Mwah. Thank you. I love it. Here's the gist. Rob Cordry is new to the prison that Ken Marino is in, and they talk in a way that you think it's like a rom-com meet cute, but it's about prison rape. That's yeah. the sketch. Yeah. And yeah, so we're skipping over it because it sucks yeah. supremely. <laughs> it's very bad. I do have two points that were interesting. Yeah. One, they do the thing where Ken Marino is like, I can't leave Big Buster as his the guy whose bitch he is. So it's like a that sort of like breaking off and Rob Cordry tries to leave but he can't because it's prison. <laughs> so the guards are like, "Hey, you got to you got to stay in the yard." <laughs> and then secondly, the sketch ends with Michael Ian Black 
as a prison guard walking down sees this and then delivers like a Shakespearean final monologue. It felt like a Midsummer's Night's Dream, even though I know it's not. You seem very upset. Is mm-hmm. I know it's because you just want to move on, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all I had because we're back to the void. Yes, we're back to the void and just this is so fucking exhausting. Mm-hmm. She wants to party 24-7, all day, all night, and also wants a pony. Yeah. And all Jeff wants to do is read Kierkegaard. And no matter what the good place says, Kierkegaard is not sexy. No. It's, in fact, the opposite of that. Yeah, knowing knowing Kierkegaard will not get you laid except in the kind of circles where no one has ever had sex. No one has ever talked to another person. Yeah. Like... Yeah, I, I, oh, I did not like that part of my philosophy class. Anyway. Now for a real weird one, as if this whole movie wasn't a real weird one. It's our don't steal section. <sighs> this one. Okay. Don't steal, but also don't covet your neighbor's whatever. And also don't do adultery. <laughs> yeah, do not commit adultery. God, every single fucking one of these is about adultery, hence our opening bit. Exactly. <laughs> we get Rashida Jones for two sentences. Yeah, she's a very pleasant hostess at a comedy club where not Jeff Dunham is performing. I'll say this guy's a better ventriloquist than Jeff Dunham. Yes, by far, but that's, again, not that hard. I know. So yeah, remember how I said that Winona Ryder's character, remind me of the name? Kelly. Kelly is fucking not not really like all there. Well, here we go. Here we go. She is very impressed by this performance and very smitten by the puppets on her honeymoon with this fucking reporter guy. Yeah. Funny thing, this ventriloquist showed up in that first sketch. Did he? Yeah. The guy who's like the agent that contacts Steven who's in the ground. There's a scene, it's like, how did you let this clown in here? Your act is nothing. And oh. you think he's going to send away the ventriloquist. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Who is that guy? He looks like Al Pacino. He looked like, more like David Tell to me, but. Yeah, fair enough. I don't think he's really anyone major. Yeah, doesn't matter. Kelly, though, seems to be under the delusion that Gary, the puppet, is his own person. And not only that, but is very interested in Kelly, which she, for some fucking reason, really vibes with. She gets so upset at her husband. It's another one of those things. How did this relationship get there? Well, it started at weird and crazy and just kept going. You know what? Fair. (laughs) Yeah, so, oh boy. Yeah, where do we go from here? The motel? Yeah, we do. So they're, they're in town for their honeymoon, and they're staying in a motel. And she decides she's not in the mood for honeymoon stuff right now, and decides to go for a walk alone. And by for a walk alone, she means to steal the goddamn puppet. Which she does, and which she makes out with, and then rents another room in the motel, and then like it happens to be right next to her husband's room, and they just bone down until like noon the next morning pretty much this movie is weird enough that they could have shown gary being real actually 
Yeah. And it wouldn't be too out of place. I feel like, yeah, they could have done that, but I feel like it would have like made it seem like, you know, justifying Kelly's actions in a way. Yes, I could see that. But it's also so much funnier that, no, this is just literally a puppet. Yes, yes. It is very, very funny that she is just straight up fucking a puppet. Yes. The ventriloquist guy, I don't remember his name, it's not important, reports the theft to the police. They take down his statement and goes, well, I think you should call the cops about it. Yeah, I am too biased to give my opinions on law enforcement, but let's just say I don't like him. This this sounds about right. Anyway, Lewis bursts in because he's tired of hearing Yeah. And then things unravel. Kelly and Gary end up riding off into the distance because Kelly says, we're done, Lewis. And Gary and the ventriloquist together, like... They have a talk where they decide it's best they go their own ways. Bizarre. Extremely fucking weird. And again, Winona Ryder is the only person acting here. (laughs) Just bursts into ridiculous tears driving off into the sunset not touching the wheel at all just like jesus take the wheel that was very funny yeah that was good it was yeah something else entirely and that's back to the void paul rudd paul is a classic oh i was just in the neighborhood yeah so he's he's broken up with liz because she's so fucking much He's got his own place now. It's a void, and it has two big stone tablets with the Ten Commandments written on them. That's the next one. Shit! This is like, there's a door. He knocks on it. Gretchen answers. And he's like, I was just in the neighborhood and wanted to see if I could take a shit or something. That's like, wait, what? Okay. <laughs> it fucking sucks. There's nothing here. We'll just move on. I will say I do have one piece of romantic advice for our audience. If the... Ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between, if the lady that you're courting answers the door in a disheveled nightgown, you're, uh, I think you're, you're, you're done. Like that, that, that courtship is over. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, take it, take it from me. I've lost this battle before. <laughs> Our next one is don't bear false witness. Our ventriloquist has become a heroin addict. Sure. Yeah. And I love these, is these three old Jewish types with a with a Harvey Feinstein, real deep voice kind of thing, and, and this is the most Jewish. Like these, so the heroin thing is entirely incidental. It's just yes. a setup for Lion Rhino. So Lion Rhino is a brand of heroin in this conceit, or, or rather, like a strain. I don't know how you would classify that. Whatever. A type of heroin, and he's like, "Why do they call it Lion Rhino?" And he's like, "Oh, that's actually a funny story," and. They they tell this story in the most Jewish way possible. Like, the heroin thing is just a setup for telling the story. I love it. Yeah. And it is an animated section. I think, I think we get Sterling Archer voicing the rhino. This is H. John Benjamin, indeed. H. John Benjamin, love him to death. Apparently he was, to jump ahead, we do see that at the end. Apparently this was all real because they call it lying rhino because the... Lying Rhino in the story is the one who delivers the heroin. Yep. H. John Benjamin was supposed to be the body, like the face person as well, but he just didn't show up to set. <laughs> Honestly, 
based. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the, the the idea here it's it's really just a boy who cried wolf thing, except it's a rhino who you know made his fortune telling lies, and then when a pack of dogs who had purposefully infected themselves with an STI, a deadly STI, a deadly STI, with the plan of having an orgy with the entire town. When he breaks this news, nobody believes him because he's done nothing but lie to everybody. And then he gets his face just absolutely beaten in. And everyone dies because they didn't believe him, which is a weird moral to this story. <laughs> or I guess the weight of those deaths are now on him because of shit, whatever. Didn't need an animal animated orgy to end this, but here we are. And as I said, turns out this was all real and now he delivers their heroin. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what else we can say about this one. Nope. Here is where Jeff now gets his new place. Yeah. Jeff gets his new place. The landlord's kind of an asshole. It's like, it's not much, but what did you expect for 800 bucks a month? And like, he fucks up the speech and starts over. Oh, yeah. He, that he, was a funny He fucks joke. up his lines. <laughs> Next story. Don't do adultery. Like the stories before it. Yep. Here, Jeff is actually the person in the story. And it's like, oh, shit, okay. I am blanking so hard on the story. He runs into Gretchen, and they decide to get back together. That's oh, the story. yeah. And yeah, everything yeah, else yeah. around it is just jokes. Yeah. So, yeah, like... The dude, the the very, very old dude that Gretchen was seeing, they're not together anymore, but Jeff is now with, like, a famed Broadway actress. Diane Weist. Diane Weist. I was like, Diane Weist, that's a good pull. But then they're like, oh, yeah, Bullets Over Broadway. Woody did such a good job. I was like, god damn it. (laughs) (laughs) But also, this section is basically Escape the Pina Colada song by Rupert Holmes. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, the entire interstitial narration has been that. Yes. But this is like the culmination of it. Of course. But yeah, they they have a chat. He apologizes for saying don't fly a kite because apparently that's a traumatic thing for Gretchen. And then like obviously they're still into each other, so they're like, Hey, do you wanna hey, do you wanna grab a coffee? Oh yeah, that's right, I'm still dating this person. Here, let me give them a call real quick. And basically just says, Yeah, we're done. I'll send the papers over. Bye. Okay, I'm free again. Which, like... Kids? Dating advice with Aunt Sophia. If somebody is that quick to detach themselves from their committed partners, they're not going to be a good partner to you. Correct. That's been dating advice from Aunt Sophia. And then, because Jeff is off doing his thing, there's no interstitial between the don't do adultery and the last one, which is honor the Sabbath. Oh, no, the sap. Okay, this one's... This is another one of those just fuck already. Yes. So this is Gloria and Oliver again. Gloria goes to church because, well, she's banged Jesus Christ, and that kind of puts a definitive lid on the subject of religion. Mm-hmm. But Oliver's not really feeling it. And, like, sure, I get and that. He does a Ferris Bueller. <laughs> he, does a, he does a Ferris Bueller and plays sick to get the day off and strips down nude and is like... This is so freeing. I can conquer the world. And he's telling his buddy about it a couple of days later. And who is this guy? I've seen him around. Bobby Canaveral. Bobby Canaveral. So yeah, Oliver convinces this guy to come over and be naked with him. And I'm just like, oh, just fuck. So yeah, they're naked together. They listen to 
Roberta Flack. Yeah. And like they decide to bring more people and more people and more people. And the next thing you know, it is a chaste orgy every Sunday. A new kind of church. A new kind of church. And Oliver makes the point in the form of a musical that who's to say that honoring the Sabbath necessarily means going to church and doesn't mean honoring it in your own way and resting in your own way. I can vibe with that. I can vibe with that hard. I mean, I have I have flamenco on Saturdays. I haven't been to shul in a while. But this musical number turns into the end wrap-up of the movie. Yeah. Big musical number. It touches on everything we've seen. Jeff says he did his damn job, which is the only thing he can do, right? You would not be wrong to think that this is the end of the movie and there's nothing else left worthwhile. This is where I turned it off. That Yes. There is, however, exactly like two seconds that make this incredibly funny. Oh, no. Okay. Go ahead. It turns out that this movie we've been watching is apparently a presentation to high school-aged students. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And their principal just looks so fucking exasperated. Okay, I thought this was a credit sequence because I no, 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 no. stick around for credit sequences. Yes, I did see that. If you get to the song, you're like, all right, I'm good. That makes sense. Yeah. One thing I do want to point out, because I do bring this up in the analysis, sort of, is the lyrics then are the, like, what does it all mean? What's it all about? And they go, it's about love. And it's like, okay, that recolors everything I've seen if... I'm now to believe that your central conceit was everything's about love, but okay. Yeah. And then we roll credits. We're done with this stupid fucking movie. All right. So, Kyle, you suggested that you have some analysis here. Yes. Saying that this movie, the central thesis is it's about love, makes about three of the stories make more sense. Not make sense. Make more sense. Yeah, it's the way the the way the prison rape story is framed. It's clearly like romantic, but like it it does bring you back and like, hey, by the way, we are talking about non consensual sex here. Yeah, this was a really curious approach to the application of the commandments. Yeah, so one of my analysis sections, and we'll get back to it, is, is simply that like this is the way Christians might view the Ten Commandments, if they were slightly more Jewish about it. Yeah, there's a line in there where the ventriloquist makes an anti-Semitic joke as part of his set. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to bring it up exactly, but both David Wayne and Winona Ryder are Jewish. So it's was like, okay, I, uh, fine, I'll put up with that. But yes, yeah. David Wayne, one of the writers, is Jewish, so this definitely has a more... Jewish flavor. Yeah. Yeah. It I, I definitely got that vibe. And also like I think there are a couple of more Jewish actors in, in this movie. Like probably. Anyway, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The point is like that's the way I kind of read it. But go ahead. Here is what I found fascinating about this movie is this is one of the clearest examples I've ever seen of how not to make a movie. Like you can watch a bad movie and there are part like it can be so bad that you're like, I don't even know how I would fix this. This movie, I can 
probably point to specific things and say, okay, that doesn't work. If it was changed in this way, it would have made it 10% better. I just really hate anthology movies. You know what? That's fair. But also, I don't know how you... If you're committed to the idea of doing a movie on the Ten Commandments and you don't want the story of Moses getting them... Title cards. You could just put the whole thing together into one cohesive narrative, take out the narrator, and just have, like, title cards or lower thirds saying, like, ding, this is the first one. Mm -hmm. That being said, you said a cohesive narrative. It kind of approaches that with the continuity between stories and the fact that the narrator then becomes the subject of one of the stories. And again, knowing after the fact that all of this was a play put on for high school age students explains some stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. But also, a big reason I think this movie is bad is that you're like, I'm going to talk about the commandments and then... Very few times do breaking the commandments lead to consequences. Like, I'll say the don't lie one because it led to a bunch of deaths. And the don't take, there are no other gods before me. Like, his life ended up sucking. But that's also not directly because of that. It's more because he did a dumb. I'll offer a counterpoint here. Mm -hmm. I think you're you're almost onto it. I think the the... The thing here is that, like, violating the Ten Commandments don't have immediate consequences, with the debatable exception of, like, you know, murder. Yeah. Those consequences were fairly immediate. <laughs> but I, at, at the end of the day, they all did have a consequence. Like, consequence, they all... sure. But, like, Kelly stole a puppet. Her resolving of that is she gets to have her version of a happy ending with the puppet. Yeah, but not without... Hurting people along the hurting way. Hurting a lot of people, sure. yeah. How about don't covet your neighbor's stuff? They bought a bunch of CAT scan machines. That wasn't the problem. Actually, it would have been fine that they bought a bunch if they happened to be home to help those people. But instead, the problem was that they went to a bar? Like, that doesn't make sense. Well, so I think... All right. If I may interject with, with part of my analysis here. Sure. I, I kind of like... Hinted, or I said that, that that this was like what the Ten Commandments would be like if Christians were a little more Jewish about it. Mm-hmm. And I do mean a little bit because at the end of the day, they're still Christians and they still have some some views that are syncretic with religions from all over the places that they've been and conquered and absorbed. And the idea of like not karma as such, because karma classic, you know really only comes back to bite you after you die. And when you reincarnate, you reincarnate based on, you know, your karma. Mm-hmm. But in the pop sense, karma as cosmic retribution. Mm-hmm. Yes, the, the fact that, that you know, Leave and Joe went to a bar is the reason that all those kids died. But the reason that happened, that that was a cosmic coincidence exactly because they coveted their neighbor's stuff so it's the idea is that punishment will be will be you know cosmic in nature and ironic so with that one in particular Mm -hmm. if they didn't covet the stuff they wouldn't have the cat scan machines in the first place right so the the kids would still get irradiated they just now had no option instead of one potential 
the the blame would have been on someone else. It okay. wouldn't be their fault those kids are dead. See, this is what I mean. Like, I'm going to blame the kid because he forgot his key. Yeah. I mean, so we, we look at this and we're like, yeah, but the kids are still dead. Yeah. Whereas, like, I think a, a, a more normative viewing in America, shall we say, would be to say that, like, yeah, but it's not their fault because okay. they don't they didn't ever got the machines, which I think is a shitty way to look at it. But you know, whatever. Yeah, that's that's what I've got. I don't I don't I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to talk about this movie anymore. Okay, two <laughs> final thoughts. There were a few funny lines throughout, but as a whole, this thing fell pretty flat. Yeah. So, Kyle, I have to ask. How did you discover this movie? This was early days of Netflix streaming before they had any of their own stuff. And they just had weird bullshit. And I was like, oh, what's this? Right. Because I had to steal this movie. Also, knowing your position on adultery plot lines, how did this make it onto the list? One, as I said, this is one of the most toothless adultery things I've ever seen. Hmm. But also, I mostly forgot what the fuck actually happened in this movie. <laughs> fair enough, fair because, enough. Because, again, I watched it once, and then no one gave a shit about this to keep it around on any service. Yep. So, I was just like, that was a weird thing I kind of remember. <laughs> uh, fair enough, fair also, enough. Also, the other thought is, I did enjoy that there was continuity throughout the stories, that the characters were the same like they reused the characters in different scenarios and that they were like, they played off each other and they worked in parallel and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Very cool. The person who delivered the twins in the honor of the mother and father was Dr. Richie, Ken Marino. Yeah. Like the, the stories are all clearly connected and a little bit jumbled in time, but mm-hmm. for the most part, you know, they're, they're all related to each other, which is why I say, like, you could cut out the narrator and make this movie, like, 60% better. And as we said, everything goes on too long. This could have been 40 minutes. Yes. Yes, it could have. Ratings time? Ratings! Woo! Enjoyability! Zero. Zero? No, I'll give it, I'll give it a, a two. I really hated this movie. I'll give it a four. It's not good, but... Like I said, there are a few standout lines that I really liked. And they reuse stuff weirdly. Like the juicing my pecs gets reused in a couple different places. In the prison scenes. The skydiving guy. When he's like, he jumped without his parachute. Someone says, are you goofing? (laughs) Like (laughs) the idea of goofing comes up a couple times. It's like, I kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Obscurity. How obscure are you going to call this one? Well, I had to download Roko's Basilisk in order to fucking in in order to to watch this movie. So I'm gonna go with a nine. I was gonna say like eight because again, it's a lot of big names because David Wayne's done some stuff. But yeah, like no one gave a shit about this movie. I could find nothing about this anywhere. And when I reached out to you, your recommendation. Was, was a piracy, site, yes. Yeah, was a site well-known for being a just a virus bomb. Really? I thought that was one of the better ones. But that's beside the point. <sighs> As we wrap up our episode, we end, of course, with our pop culture pop-outs, a piece of pop culture we have been interested in as of late and want to talk about for a while. 
Sophia, I did a terrible crime to you by making you watch this. Why don't you start us off? Uh, Yeah, so one of the things that I have been, you know, kind of interested in lately is, oh God, this is so, this is so bougie of me, an opera called Lucia de Lamamore. It's at the Met Opera right now, and I'm going to go see it in a couple of days. Kyle, get the smirk off your face. Yes, I'm going to do it. And yes, you know. Anyway, yeah, so so my Italian isn't great, so I could give you the larger plot beats, but that would be an entire another episode. So it's it's a fun opera. It's well known. The aria from this opera you will recognize from the movie The Fifth Element. I still need to see that. Holy shit, do I need to see that? Not element? see the fifth. Okay, all right. Listen, people think I know a lot about movies because I've watched a lot, and I have watched a lot, but my thing is that I know about movies I haven't even seen, which reminds me, this was a thought I meant to share. Yesterday, I watched Kiki's Delivery Service for the first time, uh-huh. and that was a better use of 95 minutes than watching The Ten. That is true. Yes. And much easier to find on the internet. True. HBO Max, baby. Kyle, what have you been interested in of late? A few weeks ago, I finished a book. It's called The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. I'm going to give you the short, like, tags that would go with it, and tell me if you're interested. Okay. Time loop, quantum leap, murder mystery. You had my attention. You now have my interest. Yes. So, a man that we will later learn, his name is Aiden, is tasked with solving the murder of Evelyn Hardcastle. He has eight tries to do it, and each try, he inhabits the body of a different person who's at this manor. It's this very, like, English murder mystery setting, very Agatha Christie. And like the only Agatha Christie novel I've ever read, and then there were none, I don't think this is a true mystery, because I don't see a way that you could have solved this on your own. (laughs) Which is fine. I'm totally fine with that. I'm fine being along for the ride. But it was was a really good book. Yeah, that... I'm I'm current I'm a slower reader, so I'm currently working through a small mountain of books. It took me about two months to read this because I am also a slow reader. Yeah. I actually have until the end of this month to finish a book that I have been asked to review and then write the well, I have the rough draft of the review. I'm about two thirds of the way through the book. Is that Wrath Goddess Sing or is this a different It is. Book? It is. So that's I'm working on the review for that, and I just need to finish... Ah, it's more like three quarters. So, like, I just need to finish the last quarter of the book, and I have till the end of the month to do it, because it goes on sale June 7th. Ooh. Sophia, where can people find you online? Well, I have a link tree. But the big notes are, I'm on Twitter, like, terminally on Twitter, Hamilcaridina, H-A-M-I-L-C-A-R-E-N-I-N-A. I am on Medium at Sophia Elena Maestatricht. I have two publications there, Queering House. That's my queer media analysis project. And also The Fifth Columnist. On The Fifth Columnist, I recently gave my opinions about journalists and which side they've chosen in the Roe v. Wade debate. I, I shared it on Quora, where I am also Sophia Elena Maestatricht, under the caption, Bill Crystal's a big dumb idiot asshole. So, so that, that gives you an idea. Let's see. Don't find me on Facebook. 
I think that's really it for me. Kyle, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter, at Kyle the Giggles. I'm on Tumblr, Letterboxd, and Twitch under Hebrew Hammer. We also collectively have a Twitter account, at Off the Film Path, where I post our episodes and Sophia live reacts to the movies. Yes, I do. Oh my god, they're so much fun. If you would like, there's a link at the bottom of the show notes where you can leave a voice message to appear in an upcoming episode, whether leaving your own pop culture pop-out or talking about any of the movies we've covered. But if you want to cover the movie we're talking about next time, Sophia, what are we watching? Next time we are watching Safety Not Guaranteed. Ooh, baby. I think this is one of the earliest indie movies I watched. Oh. This was like my intro to indie cinema. Also, my first introduction to Mark Duplass, because I had not seen The League yet. Oh, uh, God, Mark Duplass is great. Oh, by the way, fun fun story about The League before we go. Mark Duplass, and I can't remember his wife's name, but, like, she plays someone else's wife. Yeah. In that show, rather. Yes. Very funny. I think Mr. Mark Duplass might have a thing for wife swapping i don't know doesn't matter either that or they're just consummate professionals i don't know where that decision came down though yeah but yeah. anyway if you like the show please subscribe rate and review us on itunes and spotify and tell your friends about the show spread the word by sending a company-wide email saying hey you should listen to this podcast spray painting on a bank window no i think we already did that one almost certainly yeah oh what you could do is Get like 45 of your friends because everybody has 45 friends. That's easy. Mm -hmm. Make a flash mob and spell it out in the town center. Incredible. Thank you very much for listening and we will catch you next time. Goodbye. Bye.